Good morning. My name is Mark, and I just want to uh, say again that you're really welcome uh, with us this morning at the vineyard. Anybody get, is there, are the roads still closed down there? Is anybody get caught up on that, did they? They took me up the Sainfield Road, around, and then out to Sprucefield. It was crazy. It was with 10-mile diversion. I'm glad you got here. I'm sure a few people were late uh, because of that. Don't worry, I'll try and get you out uh, here as quickly as possible to enjoy uh, the sunshine. I've actually done this this morning already, so I'm go- probably going to get bored with myself halfway through, so please excuse me. I'll maybe just email it to you or something, then you can read it later <laughs> and save my time and yours. Anyway. anyway, this morning we are starting a new series called Tales of the Kingdom, and it's going to run, run right through to uh, the end of August. And over the next eight weeks, we're going to look at, together at some of the parables of Jesus that are found in Mark's gospel. We're going to have a think about them, sort of study them a little bit, and try and discern what God is saying us to us through them. So this morning, I'm going to jump right in and start in Mark chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 18 to 22. There should be a Bible somewhere if you want to follow along in your seat or beside your seat or under your seat. uh, You're welcome to turn to that. And it's on page 696 of uh, the Bibles on your seat. So if you want to open up there, we'll read together. Mark 2, 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples... And the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not. Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they cannot, or they can. No, they they pour new wine into new wineskins. Is that right? Let me try it again. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into uh, new wineskins. Let's pray. Lord, we just welcome you this morning. Uh, Thanks for your presence already with us. Lord, I pray you'd speak to us today, uh, that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us, uh, that you would give us wisdom and discernment, Lord, to hear what you're saying and give us the courage to go and apply what you're saying to us and take it into our everyday lives. We just welcome you this morning. Thank you, Father. A few years ago, I had the privilege of uh, going to a wedding in Italy with a group of friends, and it, was, it, was just, it was, wasn't one of your sort of normal uh, wedding experiences. It was one of those magical and unforgettable experience that don't come around very often, well, for not, not for me anyway. The wedding itself was in this old, uh, stunning chateau, and the reception was like, all I could describe it was an outdoor extravaganza. The weather was like this, it was gorgeous weather, blue skies, it was sort of late afternoon when it started. Uh, there was each table had a, a flaming torch beside it to light up the, the table. There was a mini orchestra playing music in the background. It was just one of those uh, incredible experiences. And the meal, the meal consisted of seven courses, and it must have been spread out over five or six hours. We were there all afternoon and well 
into the evening. It was the most exquisite food and drink. It was one of those, you know, life doesn't get any more better than this moments when we were in it, and they don't happen very often. It was just perfect. It's probably going to be very similar to uh, Hannah and James's wedding or Pete and Laura's wedding when it happens in in, uh, the rest of the year. And anyway, we were there for a week, so we got to see around Tuscany, explore Tuscany, but we went to Pisa, did the old obligatory, hold the the Leaning Tower of Pisa up photographs. We went to Florence with all its stunning architecture. We spent days on the beach and the coast and just enjoyed, enjoyed all that that region had to offer. It was a really fantastic trip. Really once in a lifetime. Anyway, one day we, we decided that we would visit uh, one of the famous vineyards in the area. It's Chianti area, if you, if you know anything about wine. I don't, but apparently that's a, that's a wine. And so we, we went and visited this vineyard. And I, I need to stop here before I go any further and say that this was not a vineyard church, okay, in case you're wondering. And that's really important as this story unfolds. It was a wine vineyard, okay, you know, where, they, where they make wine. It actually used to be funny when we were in Hazelby, and we used to get people coming in all the time uh, thinking it was an off-license because we had, we had a vineyard across the door, which was an understandable mistake, of course. So, so back to my story, back to Italy. And you know, we did the tour, and at the end of the tour, uh, we had a meal, and we got to sample some of the produce of the vineyard uh, during our meal. That was fine, except there was a problem. There was a couple of people there, a couple of friends with us, they weren't really wine drinkers, to say the least, they weren't really wine drinkers. In fact, they never, ever really consumed alcohol. And all I'm going to say is that, uh, I don't know what it was, maybe the combination of heat, of their thirst, maybe a low tolerance, meant that even though they had a relatively small amount of wine, it had a very significant effect and a very obvious effect on their demeanor. And we, we, as the as sort of evening unfolded, we were quite shocked at what was happening to these two uh, very innocent people. To the extent that these two normally very conservative, very respectable individuals turned into these loud, singing, stumbling, slurring extroverts, it was not a pretty sight. And we were like totally taken back by what was happen, happening. It got even less pretty later on when we tried to sneak these two people back into the hotel as they, uh, I don't know how to say it, dispensed of their stomachs uh, over the beautifully manicured lawn. It was not a good evening, and it was not a pretty sight. It was even worse the next morning when these two individuals did the walk of shame to breakfast. (laughs) They didn't know what had happened, they had no recollection, and it was not a pretty sight. I guarantee that they have never, ever touched wine again after that incident. What we found out, actually, uh, later on, was that they had, that the wine that they had been given us was new wine. I didn't know this before. They had been innocently drinking uh, new wine, and it was incredibly strong and incredibly potent. This wine was like bursting with energy and bubbling with life and bursting out. It was active. It was really strong. It was still fermenting. It was vibrant, and its effect on these two poor, unsuspecting people was unfortunately very obvious and definitely not something that they wanted to do again. New wine, it's really strong, it's really vibrant, and it's really potent. And I I learned something about, I'm not a wine connoisseur, you know, 
once the bottle goes over 3.99, I'm out, you know, whatever it is, and little. But I learned something about, about wine that day, and that new wine is really potent, and it's really strong. So kind of with that in mind, let's go back and have a look at the passage we read earlier from Mark chapter 2. And this passage begins with a question. It begins with a question about fasting. And more specifically, how come Jesus' disciples weren't fasting at that time? And although Jesus' reply to them did, he did sort of mention fasting, he uses this question to teach a much bigger truth to those who were listening. That with his coming, everything had changed. And things were not going to be like what they were before he came. Everything had changed, and Jesus wanted them to make sure that they understood this. So let's read from verse 18. It says this. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? What was happening? Well, the Old Testament it was stated that there was, there was really only one day in the year that the Israelites were required to fast. So that, that, it was pretty kind of loose in, in the Old Testament. It was only one day of the year, and that was the Day of Atonement. That isn't to say that people didn't fast. On other occasions, they did. They fasted you know, when they were going through suffering or mourning or maybe when they were repenting of their sins. They fasted as families. Sometimes they fasted as a nation. But the only obligation they had from the law was to fast one day a year on the Day of Atonement. Now, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, they always liked to take things further and show how religious and how holy they were. And they came up with their own rules and their own regulations and their own laws. And they decided that they were going to fast two days a week, twice a week, on a Monday and a Thursday. And I said they did that, it wasn't just, it was to show others how religious and how holy they were. And instead of doing it in private, they turned it into this big outward spectacle and thing. And they, they went to great lengths to make sure that when people saw them, they knew they were fasting. So they, they did their faces up in such a way. They dressed very demure and in and, 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 uh, clothes to make people think and make people know and let people see that they were fasting. People knew what they were doing. Jesus actually already called them out on this and accused them of being hypocrites, which is, in fact, that's what they were. It was all about the outward show. It was all about trying to impress people and show others how holy, how religious, and how good that they were. So that was the Pharisees. They were there that day. There was also another group of people there, and that was John, the Baptist followers. And they were fasting as well. But their fasting was a little different. John's message was about repentance, preparing for Christ to come, preparing for the coming of the Messiah. So it's likely that their fasting was more kind of genuine. It was an expression of repentance for their sins in preparation for Christ's coming. So we've got these two groups of people here that day, maybe fasting for different reasons, but they both had the same thing in common. They both were fasting And they were wondering why Jesus' disciples were not fasting. They wanted to know why. They wanted to understand how come these guys got to break the rules? How come when everybody else was fasting, these guys are eating and feasting and enjoying themselves? Why were they not obeying the rules? So they asked the question. And Jesus used a rhetorical question to answer them. 
Remember when your mom or your parents used to do that to you? Ask you a question that you weren't meant to answer and you were kind of stumped. Do I look like your slave? Uh, no. <laughs> Why is that school bag always lying in the middle of the floor? Uh, no. Do you know what time it is? Also, I got that every morning. Do you know what time it is? Uh, yes. And here's a good one I always got. You think I came up the lagging in a bubble? Anybody any idea what that means? I still don't know. I've never said it to my kids because I have no idea what it means. Jesus did the same. He answered their question with a question. And he wasn't trying to avoid giving an answer, but he was trying to make a point. And it says in 19, when they asked him, why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus said this, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. And the answer was obvious. They had the bridegroom there. And a wedding isn't a time to fast. It's a time to enjoy great food. It's a time to celebrate with family and friends. It's time for cheesy music and bad dancing. Fasting on the opposite is a time to be somber, to deny ourselves. There's a time to fast and there's a time to feast. And a wedding receptionally is definitely not a time to fast. That wedding we went to in Italy, it would not have been the same if we were all fasting. It would have just been a very, a very different. I was thinking it would make the reception a lot cheaper, wouldn't it? I must remember that when it's my kids' turn to get married. Definitely save if you could that way. <laughs> so what, what was Jesus saying uh, by all of this? Well, he was saying that he was the bridegroom. He's the one that Israel had been waiting for all these years. And although it made sense to fast in preparation before he came, when they were waiting for him, but now Jesus had come and everything had changed. The bridegroom was here and it was time to celebrate. Everything changed when Jesus came. The Old Testament laws no longer applied in the same way. The Jewish ceremonies and sacrifices were all fulfilled in Christ's death on the cross. All of the Old Testament looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. And now that Jesus had come, everything had changed. Everything was different and everything was new. So those who were following Jesus, they were embracing this new teaching. They were living into this new system that he had talked about, this new kingdom he was talking about. And they were leaving behind the old religious system with its rules, man-made rules and regulations. And this really, really, really annoyed the Pharisees. They were living in this freedom and they were still underneath this system of rules and regulations. And they really annoyed, they were really annoyed and angry about what was happening. So Jesus then goes on to use two illustrations for everyday life to point out this kind of break from the old forms of worship and religion and Judaism and this new kingdom that he had been teaching about. And he uses two everyday examples that would have instantly uh, been recognizable to those who were listening that day. Verses 21 to 22. It says this, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, a new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. New wine into new 
wineskins. And Jesus uses these two matching illustrations to make the same point. The old is incompatible with the new. You think about this unshrunk cloth. Most of our clothes today, when we get them, they come uh, pre-shrunk. Pre-shrunk, it's hard to say. So when we wash them, they tend not to shrink unless you do some silly things with the washing machine like me and end up with shrunk clothes. But most of the time, if we're careful with our selection, uh, we kind of avoid those disasters and our clothes don't shrink in the wash. But it was different back in Jesus' time. Everyone listening would have known straight away what would happen if you put a non-shrunk patch of cloth and sewed it onto an old garment. When it was washed, the new patch would shrink It would pull away from the garment, leaving a bigger tear or rip than was there before. And the second illustration is to do with wineskins. In Jesus' day, they used animal hides, usually from goats, for storing and transporting wine. The problem was that eventually these things stretched out and they lost their elasticity and they became brittle. And these wineskins, they were only good for storing old wine, which was no longer fermenting, so it was stable. But they were no good for storing new wine. When new wine was placed into a wineskin, it continued to ferment, uh, and it was essential that it was in a new, flexible skin that would expand. You know, as the CO2 was released, it would expand. And as the fermentation process continued, the, the wineskin was able to expand and accommodate what was happening in the wine. If you poured new wine that was still expanding into an old wineskin, it would just burst the skin and you'd lose everything. So what was Jesus saying? Well, he was saying that the old system couldn't cope with the new thing that God was doing. It couldn't be patched, it couldn't be repaired, it couldn't be tweaked or altered. They knew that they could never repair an old damaged garment by simply adding a new piece of cloth to it. The result would be something even more damaged than the original. And this new thing that Jesus was referring to, the message of the kingdom, wasn't compatible with the old religious system of Judaism. You know, Jesus talked about the kingdom. It was growing. It was expanding that parable of the mustard seed. It starts off small, but it grows into a great tree. And the old, dried-out, inflexible, brittle Jewish system couldn't contain this new wine, this new thing that God was doing. And those who receive this new kingdom, they would need to be ready and able to withstand the pressures caused by this expansion. The new wine would destroy those who remain trapped in their rigid religious ways. You know, life wasn't about obeying rules and riches anymore. The new kingdom was about relationship, God dwelling in us, his spirit in us, working in us and working through us. This was the new kingdom, the new message, the new covenant that Jesus was talking about. Judaism had become rigid and inflexible system based on man-made laws and tradition that wasn't going to be able to contain the new wine of his spirit that God was about to pour out at Pentecost. The message on the, on the, the power of this new covenant was too fresh and vile to be a attached to an old garment. The new wine of the new covenant, it was too vibrant and potent to be placed in a rigid and inflexible system. What he was going to do demanded a new vessel to contain and carry it, and he was about to deposit his gospel and his spirit into a new wineskin on the day of Pentecost. And this new wineskin was the church. That's us. We are the new uh, wineskin. 
He didn't come to reform Judaism, but to transform Israel into the church. Something that's rigid, something that's inflexible, isn't capable of holding something that's always changing, that's vibrant, that's potent, and always growing and expanding. So how do we apply this? I remember way back in Bible college, my, one of our lecturers said, uh, a parable should only have one meaning. He was German, so he went, the parable should only have one meaning, yeah! I don't know why Germans always sound cross. I don't know what it is. So he used to say, so I kind of remember that. So I'm going to, sorry, Dr. Schatzman, if you're still alive, I'm going to, I'm going to pre-sell a little bit. So I want to look at an application in, in a number of uh, different areas. And I find this parable really challenging when I think about my own life and my own heart. You know, am I willing to be flexible enough to allow the Holy Spirit to move in my life and change me or take me in new directions, lead me into new things? Sometimes change can be really hard. We like the comfort and security of the known. We've all got our favorite chair or our favorite slippers or our favorite sofa or favorite jumper. We like it because we know it's comfortable. We know it. We feel relaxed in it. It's familiar, we know what to expect, and we can handle that. What's the state of our hearts? As our heart becomes slightly cynical, maybe slightly hard, slightly cool through circumstances, are we trying to block out what we know God is sort of prompting us with, to know, understand what God is saying? Are we being distracted by other things or purposely distracting ourselves with other things because we know God's talking to us about one area? Are calling us into something new. Maybe hurt or anger or fear or confusion or illness, whatever it is, has caused you to pull back and to begin to resist God and what he wants to do. Are we embracing what God has for us? Or is our face starting to, like an old Weinstein, begin to creak a little bit, begin to tear and starting to come away at the seams? If I'm honest, there's probably areas in my life in which I am flexible and I am cooperating with God, and I know that I'm responsive and subtle towards him, but if I'm honest, there's other areas where I'm a bit dry and a bit brittle. The thing is, I know that God loves me passionately. I know that he's patient. I know that he knows what's best for me, and if I cooperate with him, he can change my heart. He can change those areas that are hard and slightly brittle. He can soften them. He can make them supple again. Yeah, it might hurt a little bit, being stretched and pulled is never easy, but the end result is a life that can carry more of Jesus, more of his spirit to those around us, to those in our neighborhoods, and our families, and in our workplaces. One thing about wineskins is that they need to be flexible in order to be useful. Because of this nature of the expanding nature of the wine during this fermenting pro- process, And the Holy Spirit in our lives brings constant change. And to host him, to host the Holy Spirit in our lives, means we need to embrace flexibility as a way of life. Not just an event, but it's an ongoing process. We need to be constantly flexible and subtle to what God is doing. And that's not just in our own lives. It's important in our lives, but it's also important as a church. You know, how flexible are we as a church? And the the really important thing to remember when we think about this is the wineskin only serves one purpose, and its purpose is to preserve 
the wine. It's the wine that is the treasure, not the wineskin. Whatever structure we have is to accommodate the expanding nature of the Holy Spirit. And if it doesn't do that, if it doesn't allow that, if it doesn't facilitate that, if it doesn't celebrate that, then it fails. The wine skin exists for the wine. It's the wine that's the focus. How we structure and function as a church should always be to express who God is to those around us and not to restrict him or try and contain him. That means that things shouldn't stay the same. And we need to adapt. We need to be flexible to what God is doing. You know, at the minute, that's why we went to, to two services on a very simple level uh, back at Easter. The wineskin that we had before couldn't cope, so we had to be flexible, we had to expand, we had to think about new ways that we could accommodate what God was doing and the people he was bringing. And we do that all the time. We're constantly reviewing, we're constantly evaluating, we're constantly listening to God. God, is this what you're doing? For this season, is this right? Is this structure right? And that's the challenge that we have as we, as we move forward, that we continually stay flexible, we stay supple, we listen to God, and we respond to what he is saying. And that brings its challenges. It definitely does. It's not the same. It's not as cozy or comfortable. And some of us have found that challenging as we, as we transitioned over the years. But that's okay if we remember that the focus is not the wineskin. The focus is making room for more. And I trust that in five years' time, things will look very different than they are today, than they did look like five years ago. You know, we're not trying to create a perfect church. We want a church that recognizes Jesus, that flexes as he changes, as the Spirit is poured out, that we move, we adapt, and we respond to what he's doing. So if you stick with us, uh, you better be prepared for change. So you can apply this analogy to so many areas our lives, our church. You can apply it to your business. You can apply it to politics, to government, to schools. I mean, look, look what's happening in the retail sector at the minute and to businesses that don't adapt and don't change. You know, look at our health system at the minute, which is about to burst. I've had an experience of that over the last few while. And once we think that it's the structure that's important or we focus on the structure and the organization, then that's the beginning of the end because the structure only serves a purpose. It's not an end in itself. And if we aren't prepared to change the structure, if we aren't prepared to adapt, to be flexible, to be responsive, and to be ready to embrace the new thing, then we'll not be able to contain it because we'll not be ready and the structure we have in place will just creak and burst. You know, we think about what's been going on politically in our nation over the last few years. I think we've tried to stick a few new patches on an old system. And as we've seen, the thing is just torn apart. We need a new wineskin in our political system. We've seen what happened when we tried to pour new wine into an old uh, wineskin. You can't be hard and inflexible and rigid attitudes. They cannot handle the new thing our nation needs. We need political leadership that takes risks and is willing to change and be flexible and be adaptable and accommodate this new wine of change, of hope and peace and stability for this little land of ours. And that's the challenge of this parable. And you can apply it on so many different levels, right from our own lives right through to governmental systems. 
And Jesus is calling us to stay soft, to stay flexible, to trust him that he knows best and to embrace what he's doing in our lives and in the lives of those around us so that we can bring his life, we can carry more of his presence, we can grow and expand and bring his life to those around us in our families, in our workplaces, in the city, in the nation and beyond. We are carriers, we are vessels of the Spirit. And we need to constantly stay flexible and stay subtle and listen and stay supple and listen to what he's saying, adapt and change and stretch as he encourages us. I want to finish with just something I was thinking about uh, just as I was preparing for this. And I want to speak to those that are involved in bringing change. That may be, whatever, that, whatever your context is, it may be in a church, it may be in uh, business, it may be in politics, it may be in your community, in your family, it may be the public sector, private sector. And I, w- I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for you for courage. I want to pray for you for wisdom, that you have the courage and the wisdom to lead change well. And that you'll have the courage and the wisdom and you'll make decisions that will bring others with you. It can be a very, very difficult situation trying to manage change, trying to bring change in whatever it is, in an organization or in any context. But I want to pray for you because you'll need wisdom, you'll need courage, you'll, you'll need to know that God has called you, that God has equipped you, that he's given you everything you need to do this. And it won't be easy, it'll be hard at times, you'll face opposition, you'll face frustration, sometimes you want to just give up and say it's not worth it, but it is, it's worth it. And I want to encourage you to keep going, to keep pressing in, to keep receiving the strength that you need to make the changes. I want to say something else to some other people as well. I feel her here. I feel some of you have been trying to, to patch something. You've been trying to change something, whatever it is, by just sticking on a patch, adding something new, But I feel that God may be saying to you today that it's not a patch that you need or that's needed. It's a new wineskin. And that's going to be much more difficult for you. It's kind of sometimes it's a bit easier just to stick a patch on and try and maybe hide something up. It's much more difficult to bring a new wineskin. But if it's, if it's If you're going to take whatever it is into the new thing that God has, that's what's required. A patch won't do it. In fact, if you patch something, as we've seen in this parable, and it shrinks, it can end up in a worse state than before. My own story was that I stayed in a situation uh, trying to change it, and we did add patches and we did things, but ultimately I came to the realization that it wasn't a patch that was needed. It was something new, a new wineskin and that's a difficult situation it's a hard situation to do it takes courage it's not easy but ultimately God was calling me and calling some of you and to make that radical change not to patch but to release and create and have something new that contain what he wants to do
So I want to pray for you uh, this morning as I finish. And if that's you, you can stand or you can just sit where you are. And I just want to pray for God's courage and for God's strength in that situation. Father, thank you for uh, the wisdom of your word. Thank you for what was written a few thousand years ago, Lord, is still as relevant and as up-to-date for what we're doing today as it was back then. And Lord, I want to pray for those of us here today who are in positions of leading and influencing change. I want to pray for courage for them. I want to particularly pray for wisdom as they make decisions, as they lead others, as they strategize, as they try and understand what this new thing looks like. Lord, I pray for wisdom and I pray for courage. I pray that they would know your strength right now in Jesus' name. They would know your power. They would understand that you've equipped them and you've called them and you will bring and give them everything they need to make the hard decisions, Lord, that are necessary. And Lord, I want to pray for those who are in situations where they have been trying to patch things up and trying to apply patches. And Lord, I pray particularly for courage that they would hear you, and Lord, if it's right, that they would be able to make difficult and courageous decisions, Lord, so that something new could be created to contain what you want to do. Lord, thank you that you're always changing, that you don't stand still. And Lord, sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes we feel like we're just running along behind. But Lord, I thank you that you're patient with us, Thank you that you're patient and that you wait for us and you gently lead us and you gently encourage us and you equip us for all that you've called us to do. So Lord, help us, all of us, Lord, to stay flexible. Help us to stay supple in our hearts and in our lives, that we would respond to what you're doing, that we would be able to carry more of your spirit, Lord. Lord, we feel like we're only beginning. We're only beginning. We want so much more of you, Lord, but we understand that we are the vessels that we need to carry and we need to change and we need to be adaptable and we need to be flexible. So Lord, would you pour out your spirit? Pour out your spirit on us today, Lord. We encourage us and strengthen us and help us to walk forward into all that you have for us. Lord, we really want to see our nation changed. Lord, we want to see our political systems changed. We want to see businesses thrive, employment created, Life created, schools thriving, or our health service thriving. Lord, would you give those in leadership and influence the courage to set aside the old things, to set aside the old and flexible ways, and to move forward and understand and re- move in a posture of flexibility and response to you. So, Lord, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your word. We say we love you and we honor you, and we're so thankful for what you're doing. Amen.